My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, last week I asked you to paint a portrait in your mind of your Christian hero, that person that you looked up to, that person that lived, that God-lived life that you wanted to imitate. This morning I want you to paint another portrait in your mind for me. Only today I'm, I'm going to be a little more specific about the portrait I'd like you to, to imagine. I, I want you to picture a portrait of a young professional. A professional who dresses smartly. A professional who, when you look at them, you can, you can tell that they have good things in store for them. They maybe carry some of that alphabet soup behind their name. They have that way about them where you look at them and you watch them talk and you know they have their act together and you know that they know what they're talking about and, and you can sense that there's someone, when they put their hands to it, they're, they're going to succeed. There's someone who, who is driven. And as you picture that, I want you to picture this young professional and he is talking with Jesus. And I want to picture that, that, that conversation. Because as he talks to Jesus, he has that face about him that, that, that is intense. He's, he's quizzing Jesus. He's testing Jesus. He wants to see what Jesus knows. He wants to see what Jesus has to say. He has that look about him that, that, that says he knows where he's going. He knows where he's headed. And he's trying to figure out if Jesus is able to have the ability to help him get there. Do you see that picture? And as he has this face that is quizzing Jesus and, and investigating Jesus and trying to figure out who Jesus is, maybe you can, can start to picture the conversation that he's having with Jesus in that portrait as well. Because this professional wants a guarantee. He wants a guarantee that the thing he has set his eyes on, he is going to achieve because he's used to success. He wants the guarantee that the eternal life that he has set his hope on is his eternal life. And he's trying to figure out if Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's trying to figure out if Jesus can, can help him nail down that guarantee. What must I do, he asks. And, and you understand where he's coming from because you've been in similar shoes. You, you know what it's like to, to start a job, and, and you can start the job, and you can sit there and be like, that's where I want to be someday. That's the position I want to have. That's the responsibility that I want to have. That's maybe the salary I want to have. And then what do you do? You, you set your eyes on that goal, and you try and figure out what skills you need. You, you try and figure out how to build up your your. Your, your portfolio. You try and figure out what seminars you need to take and, and what are the, 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 the skill sets that they are looking for for the person that fits that job that you want. And once you figure that out, you, you target it and you try and do it because that's where you're going and you want the guarantee that you're going to get there. The same happens with, with people in sports. Kids will discover that, that there's a sport they really like and they want to keep playing it as long as they can. And so what do they do? They, they try and figure out what the drills are. They try and figure out what the exercises are. They try and figure out what skills they need so that they can make it to the next team, so that they can make it to the travel team, so they can make it to the high school team, 
so that they can play as long as they want. And once they figure out what that skill set is, once they figure out what drills they are, they, they do them because they want to succeed. They want that guarantee. It happens in school too. Perhaps you remember the days where you wanted to get that good grade. You wanted your parents to be proud of you as they gave you the report card. And, and so what would you do? You would study sometimes, but more likely you would ask your teacher, do you have a study guide? Can you tell us what's going to be on the test? Because then you get a good grade on the test and then you get a good grade on your report card and everything is good. Well, if your goal, if you're driven to find a guarantee for eternal life, what are you going to do? You're going to seek out the people that seem to know what they're talking about when it comes to eternal life. You're going to seek out the people that seem to be pretty confident as they say, this is what you need. This is what you need to do. And that's what this professional is doing. He has his goal and he's trying to figure out, is that guarantee there? And as he talks to Jesus, Jesus turns his eyes to Scripture. Because in Scripture, God spells it out pretty clearly, doesn't he? In, in Scripture, it lists page after page after page about what a person must do to have that guarantee of eternal life. And the young professional knew that. And so as Jesus points them back to Scripture, what do the Scriptures say? He knew right what the answer was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He clearly understands the command to love. He clearly understands who it is that he is supposed to love. And... Jesus agrees with him. And Jesus says to him, do this and you will live. Do this and you have that guarantee. Do this and you will have eternal life. But you'll notice that, that professional, that expert, he doesn't stop there. Because he seems to sense there's a catch there. There's something that he hasn't quite figured out yet. There's something that, that says, this guarantee that I have for eternal life, of loving, of doing this love, there's something that's, that's missing. There's something in the fine print that seems to indicate that this ironclad guarantee isn't so ironclad for me. And so he wants to make sure all his bases are covered. He wants to make sure that there's, there's no way that he's going to lose out on his guarantee. And so he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And you can kind of see it in his mind as he asks that question. He's, he's trying to break everything out into, into quadrants. He's trying to sit there and say, well, of course, these people over here are my neighbor, and, and these people over here are kind of my neighbor, but maybe not these people so much, and definitely not these people over here. He's trying to place things out into the category that they belong so that he can know that he is loving the right ones, and he is being a neighbor to the right people, and if he's going to spend his time loving his neighbor, he wants to make sure he's spending the time on the right people and not spending the time on the people that he shouldn't have to worry about. He wants to make sure that his guarantee is ironclad. 
And we get that too, don't we? Because as we look at the pages of Scripture, we can see all too clearly, just like, just like that professional could, we can see all too clearly God's command to love. Love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. And we understand God's command to love our neighbor. And we understand that desire to have that ironclad guarantee that as I do these things, God is going to reward me. And we understand that because in our lives, we find ourselves looking for the same loophole that that professional was looking for. We try to find the way to say, these are the people that I need to love, and these are the people that I don't need to love. These are the people that are my neighbors. These are the people that are not my neighbors. And we know that we look for that loophole because we can look at the excuses we make when we see the opportunities to love our neighbor. And they come, they're, they're a dime a dozen. Sometimes we see an opportunity to love our neighbor, and what do we do? I don't have time. My schedule is too full. I can't show love right now. I can't be a neighbor right now because I have too much on my plate. Or sometimes we see the opportunity and we look for the loophole and we say, but I need to take care of my family. I need to make sure that my family is, is taken care of. I need to make sure my family's schedule is set. I need to make sure that I have the time with my family. And not only do I need the time with my family, I need the time for myself. And I need to make sure that I'm taken care of. And I need to make sure that I'm provided for. Or sometimes the excuse sounds more like, well, what if my neighbor isn't being that neighborly? What if my neighbor isn't saying hi to me? What if I don't think that my neighbor loves me in return? How often do we try and find that loophole? That way where we take God's command to love our neighbor and we try and, and make it smaller. So that we love, but we don't have to love as much. And we serve, but we don't have to serve that much. How hard do we sit there and say, but God, I've loved you, and I've loved my neighbor, and that should be enough. That's, that's why Jesus pauses now and, and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Because this professional, he was trying to make love. He was trying to make obedience to God's command about himself. What must I do to guarantee eternal life? And, and we do the same thing. We often try and make our obedience to God about ourselves. What must I do to make God happy? What must I do to be obedient to him? What must I do and what do I get out of it when I show love to my neighbor and when I serve my neighbor? But those aren't the questions that we are to be asking. Because the answer isn't about you. And the answer isn't about what are you doing. The answer is about God. The reason that we are doing it in the first place. And the answer is about love. What am I doing? And the answer is about others. The people who are the recipients of the love I have. And, and that's brought out in the story that Jesus tells. There's a man who's going down the road, and he's beaten, and he's robbed, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. We can all see that picture. 
And, and as time goes on, a priest walks by, and he sees the man lying on the road, and he walks past the man lying on the road. And you know what? I bet that he was fully justified in whatever excuse he came up with. And he thought he was doing the right thing. But anyone listening to that story knows that that priest was not the one who had compassion on his neighbor. And then the Levite came by, and the Levite saw the man, and the Levite walked past on the other side of the road. And you know what? I bet he had a good excuse. I bet he had a good reason, a good rationale about why he shouldn't be the one to help. But everyone who hears this story knows that the Levite is not the man who had compassion either. And then the Samaritan comes through. The Samaritan, the one man who everyone would sit there and say, well, of course he's not going to be the one to help. Because the Samaritan and the Jews had a mutual disrespect for one another. The Samaritans and the Jews considered themselves to be each other's enemies. The Samaritan is the one that people would sit there and say, well, of course he's going to walk by the other side. He only cares about himself anyway. And it's the Samaritan who stops. And it's the Samaritan who makes use of his own resources to help the man. And it's the Samaritan who sets aside his own safety on the road. And the Samaritan who gives of his own time to a man who, if the rules were reversed, would be just as happy to leave him lying on the side of the road. The Samaritan used what he had, and he helped him by putting him on his own donkey. And then he spent his money and he used his travel day to provide aid to a stranger. That's not the kind of thing that someone would do if they're sitting there asking, what's in this for me? What do I get out of this? No, we can only imitate the Samaritan when Jesus makes us a loving neighbor. Because even as he teaches us here that we are to be the neighbor, we are to be the one showing love to the people around us, we are the ones to have compassion and mercy in others, he follows us up by showing us the way. He shows us what it means to have compassion and mercy on the people that we find around us. Because Jesus saw us. He saw us wounded by our sin. He saw us struggling with the guilt that we carry. And he saw the things that cause those wounds at will as well. He saw the excuses that we make to avoid showing love to other people. He saw the way that we try and pass it off and say, let someone else do it. I've, I've done it already. He can see all the times that we've downplayed what God says in his commands. In short, he's seen all the times that we've sinned. And so Jesus does for us what, what we are unable to do for ourselves. Jesus sees us on the spiritual side of the road. And he has compassion on us. And so Jesus took the very nature of a servant to serve us by becoming a ransom for many. He gave up everything he had that he might love you. And then he did for you what you were unable to do for yourself. He made you a loving neighbor. 
And that's why he can say to you at the very end, go and do likewise. And, and this is where our God-lived life starts to come into play. Because a God-lived life is more than saying, what do I have to do? How do I make it through that loophole so that I have that guarantee of eternal life? A God-lived life is one that asks, how can I be a neighbor to the people who are around me? How can I show love to the people that God places in my path, whether it's the people who are in my own home, or the people who occupy the same building where I go to work, or the people that are actually my neighbors on my street? How do I serve as a neighbor to the people around me that are hurting, or the people around me that are struggling, or the people around me who find themselves living in a cruel world and it doesn't seem like they have any place to turn? And, and sometimes it's, it's hard to, to sit there and, and figure out all the individual ways that, that we can serve as a neighbor to other people. Sometimes it, it, it helps to have a prompt. In a little bit, we're going to look in our bulletin. You're going to see a challenge card, opportunities to serve. After the service, we're going to look and see a, a small survey, opportunities to serve. But there's so much more than that. Because as we serve the people around us, as we sit there and say, how do I be a neighbor to the people that God has placed in my life? There are opportunities to look at the people around you and see them as Jesus sees them. To see them as people that he has had compassion on. People that he has purified by his blood. People that he has brought into his body as part of that communion of saints. And Jesus makes you a neighbor to them so that just as he pours his compassion out on them, you can look at them and see this is a recipient of God's love. This is a recipient of his compassion that you might have compassion on them as well. A God-lived life is, is not about making excuses for people we don't have to serve. It's not about simply going through the motions of doing something for other people. It is seeing the individual and seeing that they are someone loved by God and doing things for them out of love because you've received the same love from God that they have. May God grant all of us the opportunity not only to know that we have received the compassion of God, but the opportunity to see the opportunities to live that God-lived life. To see not only Jesus, but also to see the people around us as we serve as a neighbor to them. Amen.